As an industry, we've made it our business to learn about games, how they work, about their resonance, and their successes or failures. But there's a human side to the industry as well. My name is Paul James, and welcome to Dev Diary, a series that explores and celebrates the incredible feats of the people behind the games, as we dive into their stories, the highs, the lows, and everywhere in between. In this episode, I'm joined by Brooke Maggs, current narrative designer at Remedy. So join us as we explore our journey. Today I'm joined by Brooke. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Um, going well. The weather is turning in Helsinki. It was um, quite warm a little while ago, but now it's getting a bit cooler. There's a saying that we have here. It's basically that winter is always coming. <laughs> I like that you managed Sorry. to crowbar Game, Game of Thrones reference into that. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think that might be the first of the series, so tick. Um, tick. Awesome. Game of Thrones Done. reference. Done. Um <laughs> Yeah, I suppose you'd be getting towards the, the cooler months now at this point of the year, um, whereas we're trending the opposite way at the moment, as you well know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very strange because um, my birthday's in October and I was talking about it with someone. I'm like, yeah, it's going to be in spring. And they're like, no, it's autumn. I'm like, yes, that's right. I'm on the other side of the world. Um, <laughs> but I'm coming home for Christmas, so I'm looking forward to getting a good three weeks of summer vacation in laying on an Aussie beach. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. That's something that I've missed while I've been away is the beaches. A little bit jarring though, having come from the, I guess, like the, the, the European warmth at one point, just starting to embrace that cold and then all oh. of a sudden back into the, the very harsh Australian heat. I'm going to have to take a big jacket to get to and like from the Helsinki airport at either ends of the trip, <laughs> I think, because <laughs> um, it'll be pretty cold by that time. December, January is pretty much the, yeah, the, the depth of winter. So that will be, but fortunately going to summer makes packing very easy. So I can just pack all my light summer clothes, put on a big jacket and we'll be fine. It'll look very funny, but yeah. That'll get you to and from the airport. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So this is Dev Diary, a series where we talk to developers from all around the industry. They share their experiences and tell us a few stories and shed some insight. And before we get to your current day where you've been working alongside the folks at Remedy, um, let's rewind back to the very beginning. Um, what was your first gaming experience that you recall? Mm, my first game experience was working on the Gardens Between with the Voxel Agents. Um, and the way that I got into doing that was I was working at Swinburne University teaching um, game studies, project management, user experience design, um, and a number of other things and um, some friends who worked there. Uh, the games course works very closely with the games industry, so there was some crossover. And at the time I was also teaching, I was also doing a writing course. Yep. Um, and so I had, you know, was learning the craft of writing, um, teaching game design and game studies. And then a friend there recommended me to the Voxel agents and I sent them a short story that I had written, which was a twisted fairy tale. and. Funnily enough, they were working on a 2D puzzle game that, that had Red Riding Hood as the yep. as the story at the time. And so uh, they invited me in and it sort of started a casual one or two days here and there while I was teaching. And then eventually it transitioned into me working with them full time at the arcade 
uh, and I worked on that project for three years. And what was really interesting about that is I always wanted to write for games. And my my understanding of writing for games was writing scripts and writing dialogue and things yep. like that. But of course, The Gardens Between was no text or speech. So a lot of the writing I did was to help build the narrative world and find out who these characters are. Um, I did the like the narrative structure of how that pairs the story beats with the um, with the gameplay and with the unfolding of Arena and French story. I probably should mention that the Gardens Between is an adventure puzzle game where you move time to solve puzzles in the yes. environment and uncover a beautiful friendship between two. Um, young people arena in front and so um, I learned a lot about working with other people in a game development team to tell the story Um, very talented people Um, and I also discovered what narrative design was Um, I hadn't heard of the title but in that time uh, you know I was sort of realizing what is this thing that I'm doing because I mean it's writing sort of but it's not writing in the game um, and came to and when, as I embraced the role of narrative design and looked more into what that actually yep. was, that was really um, really helpful to me because it, it helped me realize that narrative design is anything from you know helping inform the animators and their work and you know telling story with color and with sound and with the puzzle design and the way you interact with a game. Um, is the way that you can also receive story, what I call like playing the story. Yep. Um, and so that was really eye-opening and, and a, a wonderful experience. The game was very well received. Um, it was, and... yeah, fan- fantastic game. Um, <laughs> yeah, thank you. Li- little plug for player two. Uh, we got a great review up there of the game from when it came out the other year. Um, heaps of praise, I believe Stephen might have done it. So listeners, go out and check that out. Yeah, it's um it's a short game too. It, it doesn't take very long, and it was originally intended from the start to be a very calm, you know, meditative puzzle game that you can't die, you don't lose points, you're not being scored. There's no pressure. It's sort of more just yeah, just an enjoying a, a thing to enjoy, um, and a story to uncover, and that was around the time where you know Monument Valley and Journey you know, had set a tone for that kind of game as well. So I think there was something about being in in the moment. Um, And working at the arcade was a pleasure too, because I got to meet so many Australian game developers, which led to other jobs like uh, consulting on Florence, for example, um, which this year won a BAFTA for the narrative. Um, Yeah, incredible game and and wonderful experience. Um, I got to work with Paperhouse on Paperbark, which was similarly an awesome experience where I was working with um, another writer to help uh, her, like to also to help structure the narrative, but also to give her the insight that she needed to see how her words were going to work in a game. Um, And yeah, then I won a creative impact award, which was amazing and very humbling, which I think made me a good candidate for uh, the Film Victoria Women's In Games grant, which, yes. um, yeah, which is, it's a lovely program where, uh, like, a group of women each year are selected who are a little further into their career um, to receive some money to help them extend their or expand their career um, or move forward in it. It's a great initiative. It's, it's really good and especially great in 
for me too because it was I, I didn't see how I was going to get more narrative experience or to like get further or deeper into game narrative unless I went overseas because we don't have many huge games narrative games being made in Australia that are perhaps yeah, like at AAA 100%. level um, and so I, I decided to I, I emailed so many studios and said you know this is what it is uh, it would be like a residency an artist residency would you have me to work just to see how uh, a narrative team works um, and I emailed Remedy and I emailed Double Fine and they got back to me and right. so it was amazing. In February last year, I went to Remedy, which was in winter. Um, so I was very prepared for what Finland was going to be the second time I came. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that was when I got to see what Remedy were working on. And at the time, of course, I couldn't say anything. Yeah, um, it wouldn't have been public knowledge then. No. So it was it was control and it was this new IP for Remedy with an active female protagonist in this new weird world where you have, you know, supernatural abilities and, um, yeah, the story was incredible. It was very cool. Um, like, I have to say, the experience of going to the studio, sitting in a room with um, the narrative team at the time and having Sam Lake, like, talk about the story to us and what this game would be, I was just like... Oh my god! You know, is this real? <laughs> yeah, try, trying to process all of it and put it all yeah. together in your head, and I guess in some it, ways you'd be playing catch up a little bit too at that point. Oh, I was, yeah, yeah. and because I mean, the the game, the story was the story world was something that was developed earlier than the story even. Um, so Remedy has a world design director, um, Stuart McDonald, who working with the art director and the game director and the creative director. Um, put together this narrative world or the high concepts for the world. Yep. Um, anywhere from like, what is BlackRock? Who is the Federal Bureau of Control? Um, how do they contain supernatural and otherworldly things? How do they study it? What does the Bureau look like? What is the architecture style? All of that stuff is sort of set down um, before the narrative team sort of digs into it and fleshes but it out. I mean, that makes a lot of sense, though, because that's all the stuff that would underpin, I guess, then everything that gets built upon later on. Like, they are the foundations, I suppose, in a lot of yeah, ways. Yeah, they are. And especially because the abilities, you know, very clearly early on, our game director wanted them to feel really good and, you know, be meaningful to the gameplay at every step. So what that means is the environment needs to facilitate that. So we have this really reactive environment. You can pretty much pick anything up and throw it with your launch yep. ability which means that the environment has to be reactive, which means that that was one of the reasons why they chose brutalism as the architectural inspiration because it's clean, straight lines that then would contradict the chaos that the players cause with their abilities as Jesse. Yeah, okay. Um, and kind of offsets that. Um, many other reasons too. Um, to do with like corporate governance, corporate-ish like government-style buildings, and it was based on yep. uh, some buildings uh, in in America. But anyway, um, I that was an absolute pleasure. And two weeks into the uh, placement, they offered me a job, um, which was amazing, and I <laughs> needed time to process that because it did mean moving to Finland. Um, and I yeah, asked if I could have life. some time. Yeah, and so and they said yes, take some time. Um, I also had to finish the grant, so I flew back home. I did a narrative design gig for Hipster Whale. 
I then flew to San Francisco and did two weeks at Double Fine on um, Psychonauts 2, which was yeah, okay. incredible. Um, getting to meet Tim Schafer, um, seeing how the game was working. Because, again, narrative professionals um, and, you know, getting to be a part of design meetings where, you know, people who have shipped a number of AAA games were talking about how they were going to make this one that they were the kind of conversations I hadn't been a part of before. Yeah, of course, because um, everything's such, uh, you know, in a lot of cases, the, the titles that you've already referenced so far, they're, they're small scale. In some cases, they might be the team's first ever game. Yeah. Um, and it's the, the scale of those titles is so much smaller in comparison, like you said, in a narrative sense, but also in, in almost every other way as well. Yeah, I mean, yes, and that's... That's true, because The Gardens Between was the, the Voxel Agent's first 3D, first narrative title, premium title. Um, and so, yeah, we were all figuring that out together. Whereas at Remedy um, and at Double Fine, they've, they've done these they've games They've been around before. for a long time, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I used to play Max Payne uh, back in the day. You know, I've, I've loved Remedy games for a long time. Um, but also I got to see... Uh, like um, voice recording sessions and how Courtney Hope, you know, brings her performance to bringing Jesse to life, yep. you know, and the the facial scanning that Remedy does um, to get that high quality facial accuracy of the characters. Um, the mocap studio that we have downstairs at the company um, and, and how those actions are captured and then translated into the game all of that has an impact on the narrative watching our nar our voice director work with the actors and help them flesh out the backgrounds of their characters in a way that allows them to get into character was incredible i have a whole new appreciation for acting as a craft um because it's just you know days and days back to back of doing all kinds of lines and you know t retakes and takes of the same line and different variations and then the, the amount of production that goes into keeping track of them and cleaning them up and putting them into the game and the amount of detail that, you know, you have to be on top of as a narrative team, yep. for example, we should make sure we get a list of generic lines from Courtney for Jesse to say just in case we miss something, which is like, look over there, I wonder what that is, um, get down or, you know, things all that... All those kind of lines yeah. you don't necessarily <laughs> think of as a player. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, but they're all um, they're all integral to the the overall direction of the game, I suppose. They are because without them, the game feels like quiet and empty sometimes. Yeah. Um, but then also, we have a very talented audio team at Remedy. Um, the sound once once the sound and music went into the game, you know, it it made it almost a completely different game. Um, made like really brought it to life. Um, and so my experience working there has been incredible. I think one of the first things I did when I went there was um, I just sort of thought, oh, I'll, I'll gather up some courage and confidence. And I walked to each room in the company and sort of said, hello, you know, my name is Brooke. Um, I'm a narrative designer here. I've just moved from Australia. Um, would you mind, you know, telling me a bit about what you do and how narrative impacts your work? And that oh, yeah, okay. was... Um, yeah, it was it was good to do because there are some rooms like there's a whole room full of people who do lighting in the game, and I was just like that's 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 incredible to me. 
Um, from from the games that I've worked on, there is like five or six people who do lighting, and then there's you know a whole room of people who do VFX work, and there's yeah, and I was like, how does all this fit together? So and, and what do those conversations look like for some of those roles and responsibilities that to the to the layman you'd think how does how does lighting have any bearing at all on narrative? What sort of answers do you, do you get back in those sorts of cases? Well, I mean. For example, um, when so I I had the um, the opportunity to do the narrative design for the motel sequences in control and a number of the side missions. Yep. And I would when I invited a lighting artist along, um, like for we we had uh, interdisciplinary meetings basically where yes. for a motel sequence it would be myself a writer a sound designer a lighting artist uh, a VFX person an animator and uh, environment artist and a level designer i think that's all of them um and plenty of people it's easy to forget plenty of people (laughs) i know and so they need narrative context for these motel sequences so what are they in the game they're they're a place of power that is a transient place that is uh connected to the oldest house in a way that jesse accesses via rituals and she um, has to get a key for the pyramid door using um by solving puzzles that are that are based on dream logic and so that that is a nuance that's that's tricky to explain um so like i would prepare a powerpoint presentation with references and with explanations about the narrative context and the gameplay context yeah um you know the uh, the writer and level designer would help me talk about like the jesse's narrative context for example and then the technical implementation and then a lighting artist, for example, we would walk through the motel sequence and I would say, so because at the front we have natural light coming in, um, yes. we kind of want a lot of, we kind of want the light to be relatively warm um, because it's it's like a transient motel space that should be recognisable as every kind of motel, roadside oh, yeah, motel okay. you've been to. Um, and then lighting artist would say, okay, but it needs to be bright enough that you can't see outside because environment artist says we have no environment potentially outside the building. Like you, if players can see out a window, we have to put something there. <laughs> so, yeah, okay. Um, so it's, just not, it's a kind of a constraint that's been created in the same process. Yes. Yeah. And then, um, for example, in, in the motel sequence, if you ring the bell three times, a door opens down the hallway so we need the sound designer to put the sounds in of the door opening and we need the lighting artist to make sure that a stream of light comes out of the door and into the hallway to communicate yep. to the player that the door is opened. Um, something so simple as a door opening. <laughs> um, and yet there's all this, this this layer of narrative that still goes behind that. It's really interesting. Yeah, and I mean... Like I've it's what it... underpins that whole thing. Exactly, and it's context. Um, and so... One of the ways that I've heard writing and narrative design um, differentiated, which I really like, is that writing is the play, the character's experience of the story, and narrative design is the play experience of the story. So, in this discussion of the motel, if we um, Jesse passes the door with the black pyramid on it, the writer will say, "Well, she hasn't seen that door before, so she'll probably comment on it." And I'm oh, like, right yeah, on. that makes sense. Yeah, okay, cool. Um, and You'd expect that. Yeah. Um, but And the writer's job is to sort of stay in the head of the character through this experience. 
And my job is to stay in the head of the player, which is making sure they understand that the bell has done something, for example. It's user experience stuff too, like yeah. making sure the the sound communicates what the player needs to know that they've solved a puzzle, but making sure that sound is in context of the narrative, which is new weird so the new weird genre can't be too fantastical and it can't be too science fiction yeah so striking this really delicate balance mm, we can't have sounds that sound too like sparkly and fantasy and we can't have <laughs> sounds that sound too sci-fi so yeah it all ties in yeah it's a really tight um tightrope i guess that you got to walk in those sorts of cases then yeah finding yeah. that balancing act to be really difficult but it's a challenge that seems like you and the team all managed to pull off very, very well. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't easy. I mean, there were certainly puzzles um, that, you know, didn't fit the tone that we had to redesign. Yeah. or um, And that goes through many review sessions. For example, I will review it and then the game director and creative director will review it and things like that. So um, I must say it was a very meticulous development Um everyone's very like very professional and very proud of what they do you know at remedy and and i think that comes through a lot in the amount of detail and attention to detail people have and i think that's come through in the game i mean even as just purely a consumer of remedy titles over what are we now decades i suppose dating back to the likes of max Payne and whatnot i've never doubted that whatsoever that they're proud of their work It, it shows in every Mm. every little pixel every little <laughs> it does you know yeah. piece of dialogue or whatever the case may be there's it's and then even just the way they present themselves when they are making these these public facing announcements or whatever it's it's always struck me that there's an incredible level of pride in their work and justifiably so as far as i'm concerned yeah yeah now you obviously spoke about how max Payne was one of the very first games that you ever played what were those sort of games that you did play in those early years um maybe the things that kind of developed your interest in games in the first place yeah uh yes there are many um i i mean my storytelling with games funnily enough like dates back to uh the super nintendo with mario paint with mouse (laughs) where i would make sprites with the stamp tool and then i would tell my sister stories with like different character sprites and just like interactively like tell her a story on the screen we would both sit in front of the screen and i would be like and this character comes up here and then this happens and i would have a stamp for like a tornado kind of look and a stamp for a couple of characters and then so that was telling stories with like with a storytelling tool i mean that's pretty cool earliest games i love i just used mario paint for the fly swatting but that's that's way better use the fly swatting was great Oh my gosh. But you um, still use that game on a far higher, far greater level than, <laughs> than I did, and that's why you're where you are. <laughs> oh, I don't, I don't know about that. I mean, well, uh, I think, like, part what, you of didn't, my... You didn't speak to Remedy or Double Fight and show them, here, here's, here's an example of my work from the early years? And <laughs> That's actually funny you say that, because in uni I made an, an animation um, that was fully voiced and written by myself and starring my friends um that was based on the max Payne comic book cinematics panels oh, okay and I, to- I told my own noir story using that style because i'd been inspired by that game at the time um but going back to early games i mean i loved full throttle which is an early lucas arts game yep it was super Tim original Schaefer in again, terms yeah. of world and tone yeah and really well drawn characters um 
I really liked uh, and love still Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines, so yep. I'm very excited for number Champion two. Champion a bit for the new one, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so 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 excited for that game. Um, and yeah, it was it was those early point and click games, and I I think you know Half Life was definitely in there. Um, yep. So they were all you know pretty formative game experiences that that were inspiring and and like if i wanted to make a game it was going to be like vampire or like full throttle (laughs) so would it be fair to say those those particular games were ones that maybe pushed you down that path was there was there a particular game at all you played thought okay i want to do that like there was this you know um bell going off in your head that the light bulb moment you're like okay this is this is what i want to do was there a game like that that gave you that response Mm. Um, there might there might have been, but I can't recall off the top of my head. It's really those two that that stand out the most. Yep. Um, and I remember in university we had a three D modeling subject where I made a, a scene and did a fly through uh, of it, and the scene was based on a short story I had written. Um, it, was, it was like a really dingy motel, funnily enough, back to the motels. Yep. It was a dingy motel room um, that that I imagined to be the setting in, in a short story that I'd written. So I was always kind of drawing connections between my work like uh, and my uni projects. You know, back in the day in uni when you're having to throw these things together. Yes, and, yes. Um, I used my own writing to do that. Um, I was also taking creative writing subjects at uni which I think was really helpful. And so this writing and games, or sorry, narrative design and games and writing fiction have sort of gone alongside each other. And I imagined that they would cross over and they they don't really. Like my writing at work or at, at, for narrative design is often more design documentation, which yep. makes sense. Um, so, because narrative design is kind of part creative direction part game design and part narrative so you have to be able to clearly communicate a creative or a narrative tone you have to be able to interface with the narrative team and understand narrative structure but you also have to understand the play experience and why that's fun to play um and so those things do need to still work hand in hand at the end of the day yeah yeah Yeah. they do i mean sometimes they don't which you sort of make a concession for (laughs) um you know why does this happen because game (laughs) because it's a game um but you know hopefully most of the time you can find narrative context for it and actually that's the beauty of narrative is that you often can find a narrative context it's fluid Um, yeah it's fluid it's more fluid than um sometimes finding a good game mechanic that's fun to play for hours on end like that's (laughs) that's a pretty substantial challenge in and of itself so uh yeah yeah, I think yeah, it's that's a bit more rigid, whereas um, the narrative aspect can be a bit more malleable and you can work it to fit what you've been given to work with in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, again, depending on the kind of game that it is, I suppose, yes. is the caveat. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, it wouldn't be a hard and fast rule, but so I'd mm. say maybe in some ways a little bit easier to flex um, accordingly. Uh, so was there a period there, so you were saying that games writing was always something you want to do. Was there a period during those years, maybe when you're studying or somewhere along the way where you, where you maybe flirted with other um, uh, sorts of media, I guess, where you could have been writing for, whether it was um, film, television, 
books, whatever the case may be, was there a scenario where you were kind of exploring other options outside of writing for games? Yeah, I mean, I definitely want to write books. Um, and I've had, I've got books on the back burner. Um, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I really want to write books. forward to hearing about them then. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I haven't, and it, it's funny, I was um, talking to a friend about this the other day where, I, I have this like divide in my brain um, about narrative design and writing. And when I end up writing fiction, writing is the details in terms of um, moment to moment. Uh, what is this? What is this character thinking and feeling? Where are they going? How do they get from one scene to another? Um, yep. What do they say? How do they say it? Uh, all of that kind of thing, like the divide I was talking about before. And then I always, when I'm writing fiction, struggle with amount of plotting versus the amount of writing. Um, and sometimes I will overplot, and then I will like get a bit caught up in that, and then have to do more exploration with writing. Yeah. So I think fiction writing is, I mean, even with the Gardens Between, was really useful. Like that fiction will never see the light of day, and is probably not very good. But it was really helpful to explore the world. Uh, that we wanted or the world that we didn't want um, and with writing my own fiction I actually um, put on my narrative design hat the other yeah, week okay. and started plotting my novel from a narrative design game perspective which is here here we need a string of narrative beats that when hit open up more of the story world you know yeah. and, and provide more gameplay or provide more you know I guess, yeah, depth to, to the experience. Yes. Yep. And so when I did this with the book that I'm working on at the moment and just went, okay, I need a string of narrative beats for this character. What are they? Well, she works out that she's having a tough time. She works out that she's different. She denies that she's different and tries to ignore it, then has to accept that she's different and then actually has to do something because being different means she's the only one who can do something this thing yeah, okay. and um continue on how the thing happens and then i drew a big circle from the ending uh, arrow sorry all the way back to the start and realized how much of a circular narrative it was and then i went huh well that's why i've been struggling with my writing uh i've been stuck in act one <laughs> yeah okay. i actually You're need to, to be a bit more linear about it yeah okay. yeah and so when i looked at it from a i guess narrative design plotting perspective it was really helpful because when I'm stuck in the writing details, my I've got a different hat on, like I'm in a different headspace. Yep. And so that was really useful. And so going back to what you were saying about writing for different media, I think that, you know, I would love to write books. Um, I would love to write a comic at one stage. I've been reading oh, yeah, okay. in, in my spare time. I've been reading um, Scott McCloud's Understanding Comics and yep. um, more... Also because to help with games, because comics, you really have to write in pictures. Like, and you can't, you know, you have to make the most of how you're going to tell a story in pictures. And that was one thing Jonathan taught me on The Gardens Between. We would have conversations about what this story moment was going to be about. And he would say, okay, but at minimum, what do we need to tell the story? Like, what is yep. the very least we need to show for that story to come across? Because time, budget, etc., yeah, and yeah, also th those constraints again. Yeah, um, yeah, and then because comics use a different tool set, really, 
writers for comics have to think about how the panels are going to be set up, how the panels are going to talk to each other on the page and then from page to page. So I think that's really interesting. Um, and I would be really curious to see how the process works for me to go from like plotting to writing to writing a script for a comic, for example. Like yeah, I haven't I haven't done that yet, but um, it's a, it's I'd a love to do though. it in the future. Yeah, um, but it's finding the time. <laughs> well, I mean, is, isn't that the problem for for all of yeah, us with everything we do? Yeah, exactly. It's... Yeah, you have to be strategic with the personal projects you take on. I think so. Yeah. And if we ever you know find out how to get squeeze that extra extra hour out of a day, that'll that'll be a godsend in a lot of ways too. Exactly. And if you work if you work it out, just let me know, okay? I will. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on it. Now, on top of your studies itself, you also did a little bit of time uh, lecturing as well. I um, did. So, could you talk to me a little bit about and slash the listeners a little bit to, about what that entailed? What were you doing? Um, across, it was at both Swinburne and Chisholm. Was that correct? Yeah, yep. yeah, actually, back in the day, uh, yeah, so around that time I was doing a lot of teaching um, and I taught for Swinburne, um, I taught at Chisholm TAFE, which was specifically games creation using the Unreal Engine, um, so it was my job to help facilitate uh, very basic Unreal Engine sort of learning, but then also getting the students to put together a game design document yep. um, that included a small narrative and how they were going to design the interaction with the narrative and you know, yeah, okay. helping them keep within a small project that they could do in a semester. Yep. Um, for Swinburne, we did a game study subject that was uh, part philosophy and games. So the lectures yeah, okay. were... I, I didn't lecture for the whole subject, but I gave guest lectures for um, talking about literature and games and literary references. Yeah. But the subject itself covered feminism and games, Marxism and games, um, post-structuralism and games. Um, and so it was it was cool because we and also like, for example, um, rules and the magic circle. So a lot of game studies theory for games um yeah, okay ranging from also like bartle's player types to um the the philosophical idea of a game um and yeah that was that was really cool actually that was that was super fun um i also lectured mainly for um the user experience design subject which focused on experience design for websites um, oh okay and designing, a far, a far cry from designing else, web. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but there was a games component to that. Um, but games user experience is so much more complicated. Um, but it's still about making sure that the important information that, a, that the user needs is at the front. Um, and also I lectured in project management. So it, that was sort of an overview of, I guess, more about how to schedule a project um, and things like that. Yeah, it's a very top-level sort of skill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, now that I look at it, I mean, it seems like my academic career like very thoroughly prepared me for what was ahead <laughs> in, ter yeah, in terms of games. It wasn't too focused specifically <laughs> on the writing slash narrative thing. You really covered a, a fairly yeah. broad sort of spectrum of skills that are applicable to game development, full stop. So Yes, and I mean, my writing course specifically was at RMIT, and that was... 
the the building blocks of writing it, it wasn't yep. th- it wasn't theoretical too much it was very much like here is editing here are verbs here are you know everything from how language is put together to the kind of editing and proofreading marks you use in publishing to um, how to write a screenplay to how yep. to put together a magazine that kind of thing and yeah, then okay. my uh, my deploy my um honors degree that I did at Deakin was at more philosophy and creative writing where I wrote a uh, I wrote a science fiction novella and talked about um, Baudrillard's theory of um, wow this is taking me back <laughs> <laughs> of um I guess living in consumer society oh, okay. so yeah <laughs> it's very broad <laughs> well yeah but I mean again those broad experiences I think all help shape I think where we so. are now in a lot of ways so yeah um also involved with Deakin at one point you were helping uh to kind of write a unit or develop a unit for I Deakin did. was that, a, that right as well yes. um now you're you're tickling the teacher side of me here with with this sort of thing so I'm really interested to kind of know what uh that kind of entailed and what, what did that look like in that setting uh good question um so Deakin um contacted me to help facilitate writing uh, the games writing subject that um, I guess covered the basics of character creation, world creation, like game design very briefly 101 um, and then put together a string of activities where the, the um, students would be able to write I guess something akin to a narrative design document perhaps for a game that they would make or not make depending on the complexity of or or the skill level of the students because I think this particular course crossed over um, students who are in more technical degrees to students who are in creative writing literature degrees. So the idea was to get them to to cross over a little bit. Um, And so... Yeah, that that was interesting um, because it it made me realise like how much I had learned, but then also it was it was really hard to explain. <laughs> um, but I ended up using a bunch of um, videos and references from you know the GDC vault and um, plenty of good stuff to work with there. Yeah, that are publicly accessible um, yeah. because. It's really hard to try and explain games with a textbook, you know. So I did a I did a lot of references to narrative talks that that I had found really helpful. And so there was an aspect there was like one class on writing dialogue, but then there was another class on actually world building and what is the problem in the world compared to what is the problem with a character and then what what do players actually do in the world and then how do yeah. you string all of those things together? Um, I can't remember the exact way that I uh, structured all of that. No, no, that, that's that's fine. But it's it's really interesting because ultimately you, you you're coming to them with uh, with experience here, and you're trying to turn that into a, a rounded unit that would then be able to pa- get passed on to the the next generation of game developers in a lot of ways. So um, yeah. it's really in- interesting to see how like, what what goes on in the background. You know what what are you thinking? What do you, what beats do you feel like need to be hit? in order to develop around a unit. So that's, that's really interesting. Um, so then, and you alluded to most of, if not all of these before, uh, your various um, 
involvements throughout your career so far once you actually stepped into that games uh, industry. Uh, so you're working uh, on Earthlight for a period there? Yes, I worked on the early prototype of Earthlight um, and that was really interesting foray into VR um, and designing narrative for VR. So I was um, working with Opaque Media on that uh, briefly um, and getting an idea for how to, um, or, or I guess give advice on how to potentially apply a narrative to the um, to the space exploration, yep. um, you know, simulation, I guess is a loose word, um, but it's definitely become, you know, uh, something quite amazing. But um, the idea yeah, is... I've been tracking that from afar for quite some time. I would wholeheartedly agree with you, yeah. Yeah, um, but very early on, the team wanted to investigate the idea of putting a narrative to that and and it was my job to sort of help explore what that could be um and because i had experience um because of that i also had some experience writing with vertov for a short time on their um uh documentary uh vr film which was really cool um and i didn't write it per se but i helped inform or give ideas about how interactions could work with telling the story because of course with vr it's very challenging because um players are seated most of the time actually almost have less ways to interact with the world than a a gamer does for example um but in a way the world is so much more real and tactile (laughs) so like if if something looks like it can do something then it probably should be able to do something because you're in the world you've got your hands you've got your you can look around you can look up you can look around but also you can look and do things that we don't necessarily want you to do or that we need to make that more enjoyable because these the headsets that you wear at the moment can be quite heavy so they have to be relatively shorter play times and things like that so all of that ties into the narrative and also um it's you can it also depends if you choose to place the player as an observer in a vr experience or as a character in the vr experience and if they're a character then what are the narrative ways we can use to make you believe that you are that character because the, the distance between the character and the player is like closed considerably in a vr experience rather than control for example because you watch jesse you play jesse that's jesse and you're out here sitting on the couch whereas when you're in a vr experience you are that person you can look down you can look at your body you can yeah you assume that space you are that person in that in that physical space at that point yeah exactly so the physical space quote unquote (laughs) physical space um i actually wrote wrote a paper on um like immersion and interaction in vr and like talked about how we can use narrative immersion techniques to immerse people in vr and what actually immersion means because i mean vr like people sort of laud vr because like and say that it's awesome because of the immersion or how immersive it is yeah and i guess the point that i was making is that um there are many ways to be immersed in media like people have been immersed in like verbal storytelling people have been immersed in theater for the longest time yeah yeah so it's not immerse it's not great because it's immersive in and of itself like that is you know something story does in general books yeah. are immersive films are immersive what's in interesting ways. 
Exactly. And in what other ways VR is immersive in a way that other media are not? Um, and what are some ways literature is immersive? So, so there are different immersive lit- like literary techniques that you can use um, anywhere from like the narrator actually talking to you and referring yep. to you um, and saying, you know, would you, would you go over there and do this? Like the story actually talking to you and bringing you into the world by positioning oh. you in the world. Yeah, okay. Um, I'm just instantly can... thinking about how a Bioshock experience could work in here. Would, would you kindly go do this? <laughs> yeah, would you, would you kindly go and do this? Yeah, exactly. Um, oh, that's and... going to... Uh, let's, let's not get Ken Levine to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that could be... That could be pretty cool, though, I mean. <laughs> I, I wholeheartedly agree. I think it will traumatise me afterwards. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, sorry, continue, though. I, I did hijack oh, no, that's that. that's fine. Bit. No, that's that's cool. Uh, I I was sort of, yeah, just kind of going on a little bit. But, um, yeah, it's interesting. I think I think um, there are, like, lots of ways the, the books do story that games are sort of just starting to try. Um, yeah, like like the unreliable narrator, um, or or things that films are doing have done for a while that games haven't, you know, quite done yet. For it. but I just played Virginia not long ago, which was oh, a yeah, really okay. cool game, yep. and they use a lot of you know very cinematic looking cuts um, to tell the story, which is really interesting um, to play. And um, yeah, I think I think. There's lots, lots more to explore in terms of you know games and stories, so that's that's cool. Well, he's hoping we and you're you're being a part of it. Uh, continue to dive in that space and learn more yeah. about it and develop it further, and uh, we kind of watch that space grow. Now, you mentioned uh, your time with Mountains on Florence, Voxel Agents with Gardens Between, and Paper House with Paperbark. So we won't necessarily dive too deeply into those again. Um, but th- those three games there. Uh, what sort of similar? I mean, they're all they're all kind of very different games in and of themselves, but I'd yeah. imagine there'd still be some similarities as a part of the process that you went through. Are you able to talk a little bit to what your experiences were like in that regard? You know, kind of similarities, differences, etc. Um, yes. Uh, so well, okay. So the gardens between. I perhaps was the the most involved with. So I guess varying levels of involvement, first of all. Um, second of all, what that meant was um, on a day-to-day basis, you know, with the Voxel agents, I was helping the team, like, brainstorm ideas for the objects in the gardens that could be connected to Arena and Friends Friendship because the challenge of that was actually telling a story with um, collected objects you know making an overall memory but then those memories actually connecting to tell a story but then even more challenging making sure that story um is unique to those characters because otherwise why have the characters you know they're um they become meaningless in a way and that that was the challenge with the gardens between because the game mechanic is you're moving time and not the characters so you're not super connected to them like directly um, and so if you're not, um, if you don't feel connected to their personal story, if you don't see a personal story, then, then you know, there could be something lost there. Whereas working with Florence, um, it was, you know, giving feedback on storyboards and, and prototypes and things like that. Um, so the story would evolve 
you know, in the few weeks that I would come in and work with them for a day and then yep. go away. Like I would give recommendations and thoughts and some of them were, you know, felt relevant to the team and others they, they decided not to worry about, which is fine, you know, a part of the process. Yep. Um, then with Paperhouse uh, on Paperbark, um, I helped structure. Uh, they had a structure already um, in terms of how you would move through the game. But the question was, how do you have, like, how do you have a narrative, um, I guess, escalate intention, quote unquote, over time and then round off nicely without it being too intense or stressful? And I think that's yep. perhaps something that applies to all of those games is that the narrative, the narratives are emotional, but they're not meant to be intense and stressful (laughs) so um and and that that can be a challenge because people might perceive conflict as in story as you know meaning you have to have stressful gameplay or or, you know pressured gameplay whereas with paperback it's very much like a, a gentle you know gameplay with with a very considered story and so my work was also working with a writer giving her some feedback on her words um but then also helping the team get a package together, for example, to send to her that gives her the information that she needs to write the story. Yeah. Um, which is which just makes sense for a narr- another narrative person to help with that, you know. So, yeah, that's a quick overview of those three. No, really, really interesting because they are, you know, quite different games in a lot of different ways, but then yeah. you're still pulling on the same threads in some different ways, and it's really interesting. Um, now, we've obviously dived into... Uh, your time at Remedy and Control in a fair bit of detail at this particular point. The game has actually released. Um, yes. And do you have any involvement at all on the, the upcoming DLCs that have been, I guess, announced at this point? Uh, no, I don't. Um, so okay. I've, I've moved projects. I'm on uh, Vanguard now. Um, but I have been watching with great interest the development of the DLCs. I think they're going to be... They're going to be really exciting, actually. They're going to build on the story a little bit. Um, I can't say too much, obviously, but um, there's there's definitely some new ideas in there, which is which will um, give players a still continue the rich story experience that came with Control. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. We have two DLCs coming up. We also yep. have a photo mode coming up <laughs> and another game mode as well. Yes, uh, friend of the show, Lance McDonald, uh, had his way with with the game there, and basically created his own <laughs> created his own photo mode there for a while. And oh, what that that's was, amazing! Yeah, he was, he's uh, very good digging into the code and the back end side of things, and he did exactly that. And uh, far out, it, I think it got splashed up all over a lot of the big publications online where <sighs> his his handiwork he just broke broke into your game and uh, created his own little photo mode and. Um, Oh, well, I mean, I'll that's... be really interested to see what an official, like a, an official proper one, looks like. Given what he was able to create, just tinkering with the back end yeah. stuff himself. So, yeah, I, well, I mean, that shows such a great amount of love for the game to be like, yeah. I want a photo mode. I'm going to make one because this game is beautiful. <laughs> so, I mean, I imagine that's why he created it, which is lovely. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll link you to his stuff separately outside outside of this conversation because awesome. uh, he he really digs into a lot of, a lot of games like that and he really picked through um control in quite some detail so yeah, I'll, I'll send you that i'll send you that separately, but, yeah i mean we've, um, had, we've had such a wonderful response to control people like we we hid narrative 
secrets and goodies all over the game and people found them so quickly and and like uh chatted about what they mean and sort of put it all together and have been helping each other find the secrets in the world that we've put um like the game uh the game development team really love like secrets and and hiding narrative you know uh i guess just you know piece, piecing the world together and and encouraging that exploration when we did the optional content for control um which you know has received a lot of love the documentation and, yeah. and things like that um we you know made this huge spreadsheet of all the topics in this world that we have and how we're going to cover it and what are some interesting ways that we can cover it you know is it with a memo or a letter is it with like a a, bu- a bureaucratic you know government complaint <laughs> is it with um an audio log or, or a radio station or um yeah and when we put that together you know that was really interesting watching it all be tracked and created and written and put into the game and i don't think at the time i mean at the time of course we hoped that people would really appreciate it and yeah and look but um we, we couldn't be sure and so now the game has released and seeing the reception i think is has been so lovely for the team because a lot of the time when you're making a game um you're just looking at it going i don't know how this is going to come together (laughs) how do do all these pieces work um and then they do and then and that's the hard part of game development too that i've heard people say which i agree with is that for like 80 percent of the time the game you know doesn't work or doesn't look terrible looks terrible or is incomplete or but then it it, all comes together it it all comes together and it's 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 something and especially with controls pretty experimental in ways with how we tell the story um and what the story is about like with our live action videos with the live action overlays with the um, polaris effects with um the darling videos the trench presences we've got the hotline where you can you know talk to dead people um and so people could have equally just gone what is this game like what are you doing no um but but people and yet, have everyone embraced latched onto it. It instead. Yeah, yeah people have latched onto it and i think that was certainly a leap of faith you know that was made in a lot of ways and um creative director sam lake and um our game director mikhail were very you know very clear about the game that they were making and it was a pleasure to work with those people so closely like to be a part of um meetings workshopping optional content with the narrative team and and sam lake was was awesome and i can tell you that the amount of detail (laughs) that sam goes into uh, um thinking about these things we had a we had a very extensive couple of workshops on naming the crafting materials in control okay (laughs) making sure that they sounded right and fitted the tone of the world why is that important because the player is picking them up all the time and using them all the time and finding them in the world all the time and you think you know from one perspective you're like well what is a crafting material you know it doesn't matter just call it anything but that's yeah. not that's not the approach, you know. That's that's not the way we do things, <laughs> you know. So it's like it has to be. It, ha- it means something, and and I think people who play remedy games know that, and and delve into it. They're like, no, it's got to mean yeah. something. All it's the writings on detail. the whiteboard, <laughs> exactly. No, yeah. and, I, and I, again, when we spoke about it before, you know, dating back to the Max Payne days, like that's it's a level of detail that we don't see in 
nearly as many games um, or from that, uh, other studios and it kind of makes Remedy titles really spring out um, compared to the rest. So as we start to wind things down a little bit, um, the, the plan from here, so you're obviously, as you, as you said, you're working on Vanguard. Do you have a, a dream kind of idea specifically for a game because obviously you spoke about how you're you're working on your own uh book do Mm. you have this and you don't have to go into any details of course uh, (laughs) but do you have this dream sort of game idea bubbling away in the back of your head oh look it's not fully formed but i would my dream i guess one day is to be able to write a book and somehow connect that to a game or or have that articulated in a game in some way like I think that would be really awesome because then the worlds in my head would be playable <laughs> and that would be incredible. Um, so, and, and also it would be really cool to work with people who are from other disciplines, which I think is the strength of games. It brings people of many different creative disciplines together and have them work on like a story world that, that I created. That would be, yeah. that would be awesome. So it's it's not a very detailed plan, but that is. But that's fair enough, though. Yeah, and we <laughs> don't want to go into too much detail to yet either. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, looking kind of bigger picture here, um, is there particular or are there particular people I should say, um, who maybe inspire you to other people within this game's business that you look up to, or outside of it as well that you kind of look up to in terms mm. of your writing and your approach to narrative design? Oh. Uh, yes, um, there are many. Uh, um, let me let me think. I mean, uh, well, inside of Remedy, uh, uh, like I said, I've been really inspired by Sam Lake. Um, yep. Been inspired by Stuart McDonald, who is our world director. Um, he he just comes up with some amazing things, like and they are ideas that are well articulated in a visual format. Um, that have gameplay relevance and a cool narrative ideas as well. And I think it's hard to strike that, like, off the bat. And, and yep. he manages to just come up with them, like, just out of his brain. Um, <laughs> I would love to be that creative. Um, I There are many Australian um, writers uh, whom I'm a, who I admire, and, of course, all of their names uh, have gone out of my head now, but... I mean, I really admire Alison Goodman and, and her work. Um, she was a, She's a speculative fiction writer in Australia who came to talk to my class at RMIT about genre fiction. And this was like, this is a very long time ago where I think I was like very early 20s, like just yes. doing, doing a bit of my own writing and reading. And she Still came finding your own way at that point. Exactly, and my own tastes in things. And she did yep. a lecture on genre fiction, um, talking about fantasy. And she was writing a science fiction book at the time, and she was talking about that. And I was just like, at the end of the lecture, I was so excited. I like followed her out of the lecture, just going, oh my God, like, I can't believe, you know, and this book and that book, and do you like this? And how do you work? And what do you do? And how do you plan? And do, do you write at first? Or like, how do you come up with your characters? Like, I was just... <laughs> the poor woman, like, was... Um, Who is this person? Why are they badgering me? Exactly, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that was sort of one of the, like, earliest fan moments, I guess, that I had um, in, in of other writers, and I really respect her. Um, of course, I, I really love and admire Margaret Atwood. Um, I really, inside the industry, admire... Um, 
the, the team at Crystal Dynamics. I think they do a lot of really yep. great narrative games. Um, and I really admire um, the Santa Monica studio for God of yes. War. Um, I That's thought, a phenomenal effort, that one. I thought that was a phenomenal effort, and I have a lot of respect for and love for um, Insomniac Games and their work on Spider-Man. Um, yeah. And, like, I've listened to a few podcasts of the people who were involved in that game, um, and they all sound like such lovely, like, collaborative people. Um, and, yeah, I really, I really admire that, because now that I've had a year at Remedy and I can see how much goes into a AAA game... Like, these games are just, like, god-tier, like, next-level <laughs> amounts of work <laughs> and coordination. Yeah, you must have, like, in the, the... What are we close to now? Maybe 18 months or thereabouts that you've been... No. It's about yeah, 12 About 18 months. months? Yeah. 12 months now. Yeah. Like, it must have been a bit of a whirlwind this time that you've spent over there so far, from from initially kind of jumping onto the project and it was, it was already underway to then catching yourself up and now where you stand kind of working toward, with, uh, with Vanguard. Yeah, well, it's I mean, it's been a crazy period. Yeah, releasing the game, and then I flew to London, um, LA, Seattle, and Germany to talk about the game this year um, at Gamescom, PAX, uh, E3, um, and that's been an absolute pleasure. Like being speaking able of whirlwinds, to... I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I have technically been in Finland for twelve months, but I haven't been in Finland. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it's been a pleasure. Like the fact that. Um, you know, Remedy sort of has trusted me to talk about the game uh, with with the game director or with Sam. Like, I mean, I'm not the only one talking about the game. Of course, but, um, I've answered a number of interviews on the on the narrative itself, and that's been amazing. I mean, especially for someone who's just you know just arrived, really. Um, yeah, fresh off the plane and fresh off the plane. <laughs> yeah, get out there and talk about our game, which is which has been awesome and. Um, yeah, you you can probably Google a number of those. Um, I've personally <laughs> haven't watched all of them because I find it really weird to watch myself be. Yeah, watch a listening back to yourself is a weird one. It is a weird <laughs> one. Yeah, it's um, one of the weird challenges I have whenever I go to edit these episodes. So I've got to suddenly listen back to myself. I like, bet. oh really? Did I that did I say odd. that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I can't wait to see where we go in the next twelve months. Uh, I have. I have vacation coming up. Um, I'll be going home for for a few weeks, and then we'll be like right back into the new year. So I can't wait to see how people respond to the DLCs coming out for Control, and can't wait to see where Remedy goes as a company because um, I think Control is a significant landmark as a game because it is a brand new IP that they pulled off in three years when it took them five to do Quantum Break. And um, so that's like, and it's still being received, you know, well, critically. Yeah, it's Um, it's had no bearing on the quality whatsoever. No. So it'll be so cool to see what we do in the future. We're growing all the time. You know, we have, um, yeah, I think, yeah, things things are going to be cool in the future. So I'm definitely hanging around um, and seeing where we go. Yeah, no, good to hear. Uh, so any particular treasured memories that I guess you hang on to, moments from your career so far that, you you know, suppose you're having that really rough sort of day, things have been tough for you, and it's that, it's that thing in the back of your mind that always just keeps you positive, I guess. Is there is there any particular moments that kind of stick with you? Um, 
you know, the launch of GameX to this one particular moment we had where we overcame some big whatever. Anything that kind of sticks with you? I think, wow, yeah, there's a few um, for a number of different reasons. So really quickly, I remember being at PAX Boston showing the Gardens Between on the show floor, which, by the way, is no easy job Um and like anyone who's showing a game on the game floor, give them some love. Um, but I just loved this little girl came over and started playing the game. And she was like really getting into it and sort of figuring it out and asking questions about the characters. And then she just left. Um, but then she came back with her younger sister. It was beautiful. Oh, nice. And she like gives her the control, like gives her the control and says, okay, I'm going to show you how to play this game. And then she just takes her little sister through playing the the demo that we had on the show floor. And that was lovely. Oh, fantastic. Like, yeah. it was. It's so nice to see because it's the thing that you don't see very often as a game developer, which is the play experience of the game, like when people have it in their hands and how they respond to it. Um, and that was beautiful. And then another one, <laughs> another one was... It's really random. I had a, a wallpaper of control up on my yep. computer at Remedy and one of our executive producers, his kids were visiting the, for the day and they were hanging out in our office and his little, um, his young daughter came to my desk and put her hands on the side of my desk and I was just working and I'm like, there's a, there's a young person suddenly beside me and she, she came over because she was mesmerised by the wallpaper that was Jesse showing Jesse that was okay. the big control logo. Yeah. And she was just, that, that key art that we all know. Yeah, she was just yep. fascinated and she just kept staring and staring and I'm like, Hello. She just kept staring and I'm like this Are you is, lost? This is Jesse <laughs> Um and uh, I we had all received posters of control, so I gave her my poster because she was just enamoured by um, this I guess maybe strong female looking character um and that was that was a really cool moment because I'm like yeah like stories and characters and games can really capture people you know and it can really show them things that you know they might not have seen before which is like a strong active female protagonist for example um that was really inspiring and and these are just you know tiny tiny things um I also remember when I was when the game when Control launched, how giddy and happy our game director was. He was just so relieved when it was well received because we were all looking, we were all watching the reviews come in, and um, it, it received about a, I think it was an eighty three or eighty four a Metacritic or something yep. like that. And he was just so ecstatic. happy. He was ecstatic. Good. And um, I was leaving for the day. I was I'd stayed a bit late, and so the office was pretty quiet. And he just came through and collapsed on the chair, and said, "We did it. We made a game." And I went, "Yeah, we did." Like, and it's a good one. Massive congrats! Yeah, and it's a good one, and people like it. And he just looked at me and said, "Thank you so much for all of your work." And I just went, "Oh." <laughs> pleasure like i think you know team effort and he was like yeah but you know thank you and i was just like yeah no no worries that's this is a little bit like i think he was just so happy and relieved but it's really nice to just be personally thanked and acknowledged for your work too um so that was really cool and there have been a number of moments where i've been on the show floor for example wearing the control t-shirt 
And people yeah. have just stopped me to say, oh my God, did you make control? You know, I love control this, this, and they'll just tell me all about the things that they love about control. And um, it's, it's really that's awesome. It's really awesome. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the kind of thing that um, makes, makes it worthwhile. <laughs> when, and also typically those people are the sort who really connected not just on a gameplay level but usually with the narrative in some way shape or form as well so yeah. the fact that they've conveniently enough bumped into you someone yeah. who had a big part to do with the narrative would that's you know, right and, and that's you're, you're hearing the feedback from the people who I guess really connect with your storytelling and narrative design so that's awesome yeah yeah um, and it's uh, like again it's a it's a team effort too but but by the same token, it, it is really lovely when you personally see the 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 um, way people respond to the game, and that's yep. like not all of us get to go to the shows and do that. So I always try and make yeah. sure to convey to people when I get back to Remedy, I'm like, people love this game. Like when they play it, you and I try and explain to them what they're missing out on in terms of seeing how people respond. And how they share the game and talk about the game. And it's the same for, you know, the Gardens Between and Florence and Paperbark. Like, people... I've been very lucky to work on very talented teams who have made games that have resonated with people. Yes. No, um, that's that's fantastic to hear. And, yeah, I, I understand that in some ways because everyone else who doesn't attend those conventions, they're kind of stuck in a bubble of sorts. Um, yeah. And it might be a little bit hard to see the forest from the trees. So when someone comes back with that information, that would be nice and validating, I guess, in a lot of ways. Yeah, exactly. Yes, and it's also um, it's also a strange uh, industry that we work in. So when the game comes out, people have something physical to point to and show their friends and family. See, this is what I do for a living. This thing <laughs> over <Yes>. here. <laughs> so, point, point your name out on the credits and all yeah, that sort of thing. stuff like that. And I mean, everyone at the studio, we actually have had like. A poster and game signings being gone on for the last couple of weeks where like we just have like an absolute line of control posters at the front like bottom level of the studio <laughs> and oh, people, yeah, okay. people can come and sign the posters for everyone else so I'm collecting signatures on my control poster of the whole team and I'll put it in a frame and that will be like a memory of when I worked on control and, on control. and That's control. Great. so yeah super cool yeah, you just walk in, you got your marker in hand and you just move down the line, poster after poster after poster. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, and there's like so, a hundred or so signatures to collect, so... Oh, wow. That's going to keep a <laughs> few people busy. Mm. So we did mention credits there, and this kind of throws to the last question that I've got to ask. Um, if you could be credited for any game that's ever existed, you can just retroactively add your name into the credits for <laughs> working on that particular title, yeah. uh, what would it be? Oh, that's a really good question. I'm going to forget so many cool games. Like, after this, I'm going to think of all the games I wanted oh, to Oh, why say. didn't I say that? <laughs> <laughs> um, but the one that jumped to mind was Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines. Yeah, because okay. the writing in that is really clever, and the ways that you can complete missions in different ways, depending on who you are in the world, is really clever. I think because that's what made it immersive for me. Like, I could kind of choose what I wanted to do based on the kind of person I believed or vampire I believed I was. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was really awesome. I loved that. Um, Very solid choice. 
Yeah, I'll leave. I don't. I don't, <laughs> I don't think. I don't think anyone would question that whatsoever. You might afterwards go, "Oh, why didn't I think of that? Why didn't I think of that?" But there are probably so many others. Like absolutely, but um, yeah. And I'm asking you to give me one. So it's it is right, it is a tough on. one. It's p- it's picking picking the favorite child that sort of thing. It's a, yeah. it's, a, it's a tricky sort of <laughs> problem to have. Um, so Brooke, it's been fantastic having you on the show today. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much for sharing your story so far. And obviously, well, there's there's still so much to come. And you know very much looking forward to seeing what comes of Vanguard and everything else that you do in the future if people want to try and keep up with you specifically and what you're up to where would people be best to go uh, it's best to follow me on Twitter at Brooke underscore Mags um, and then just like general overview stuff is my website brookmags.com perfect well as I said it's been fantastic having you on the show thank you so much for joining me Right. thank you very much And listeners, as always, thank you very much for listening. I'll see you next time. And that concludes this entry of Dev Diary. Be sure to subscribe to this feed, share it with your friends, and give us a five-star review to help boost the show up the charts for greater exposure. If you have any people you would like me to reach out to an interview, then please find me at Paul James Games on Twitter to help me get in touch with them. Until our next episode, however, that's been Brooke's story. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next time.